0: It is time for We Are Just Christians live from Savona Church in Port St. Lucie. Here are your hosts, Mike Smith and
1: Gary Jones. Good morning, gentlemen. Good morning and welcome to We Are Just Christians. We're really glad that you're here with us today. We certainly appreciate it. Hope you'll stay with us for the rest of the hour. We're on until 10 o'clock Eastern Time here on WPSL. And um, you can always join in the show. This is a live call-in show. I'll be giving you the numbers in just a moment so that you can uh, get a hold of us if you'd like to and even even get a hold of us by text. But this show, We Are Just Christians, is about being just a New Testament Christian here in the 21st century. That's what it's about, and that's what we're trying to promote. So whenever we talk with you about something on the Scripture or I should say, we talk with you about whatever subject you call in about or any other subject we talk about. We're going to give you scriptures to look at so you can examine them, compare them uh, to what is right and good. And, you know, you can figure out what you want to do because God demands that we listen to his word and his word only. So we don't promote creeds, denominations or anything like that. We don't even promote human philosophy as such the ideas of men, and we promote what the scriptures say, so we're going to try to give you an answer based on that, or at least the discussion is going to revolve around that. Now, we also are going to promise you that when you call in, it's not about us besting you or in some way uh, getting the better of you, making a show of it. We're going to have a conversation with you about your question or your comment, and we're going to give you the last word in that conversation so that you can feel free to call in. That's how the show works. We'd be very glad to have you call in. You can reach the show by calling 772-340-1590, 772-340-1590. That's the show, how you reach us. We'd be glad to have you give us a call at that number right at the station there. I'll put you right on through to us. And we can converse. Now, if you'd like to reach us by text message, maybe it's not convenient for you to call in to the show. If you don't just want to text us, you uh, can use... My phone's offline this morning. Oh, is it? Okay. okay. I'll just give you my text number, 772-260-6120. 772-260-6120 is the number to reach uh, reach the station here or reach us by text message. And we would certainly be glad... Uh, to uh, certainly be glad to talk with you this morning by text. We'll try to respond during the show. If not, we'll refer, talk to you afterwards. But we usually refer to those texts as they come in. If I can hear them, sometimes I don't hear them think, them properly. But we'd be glad to talk with you about that. So in any event, that's how the show works, and uh, we'd like you to get a hold of us seven seven two three four zero fifteen ninety. Or 772-260-6120 is the text number. So anyway, uh, Gary, you said you had a moment ago. Yeah, some things yeah before we take the about.
0: calls, I'd like to uh, talk about a little bit of a subject. And actually, it's an outgrowth of one of the questions we had. I forget whether it was last week or the week before. I think Jerry called in and asked a question about the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Okay, yes, that's right. And mm-hmm. But there was another tree in the garden, the tree of life. And I started looking at the tree of life and I pointed out some things to me that I thought would be beneficial to all of us. The tree of life is mentioned in Genesis 3 and, and a couple of verses and other verses in Genesis. But in Genesis three twenty two, 22, uh, it says, Then the Lord said, Behold, the man has become like one of us to know good and evil. And now at least he put out his hand. And take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore, the Lord God sent him out of the Garden of Eden to till the ground from which he was taken. So he drove out the man and he placed the cherubim at the east of the Garden of Eden and a flaming sword which turned to every way to guard the way to the tree of life. So basically, God said, Okay, if you're going to partake of this tree of knowledge, we're not going to let you partake of the tree of life and live forever and that's mentioned in genesis and there's there's only you know about three places where it's mentioned later on it's mentioned in genesis and it's mentioned again in revelation in several places in revelation 2 jesus is talking to one of the churches and he says he who has an ear let him hear what the spirit says to the churches to him who overcomes i will give to eat from the tree of life which is in the midst of the midst of the paradise of god so the tree of life is associated with our eternal well-being. Basically, we, we talk about living with God, but that's what we look forward to. As a matter of fact, it's one of the things, one of the rewards that uh, our faith brings to us in God is, is what I look at. The tree of life, you're saying? Yeah, basically yeah, right. the living forever. Right. It is mentioned in four Proverbs verses, and we can talk about that. But it's symbolically used, in, I think, in the book of Revelation again, and we can discuss that if folks want to. But the, the usage in the uh, Proverbs, in Proverbs 3 and 18, he says, She is a tree of life to those who take hold of her, and happy are all who retain her. Now, the, the her and the she here that are referring to is wisdom that you can see in Proverbs 3, beginning in verse 13 and 14. If you want to take a look at that, but basically, wisdom and wisdom and uh, foolishness in in the Bible, I think might have a different uh, kind of meaning than we generally think. The fool is the one who does not believe in God. Generally, in the Bible, not in every case, but generally in the Bible, the Bible fool is the one is an is an unbeliever.
1: Uh, it's some they're, well, they're ver- there's. Different Hebrew words used for the word fool. Yeah. The, the worst one is one who is uh, going to scoff at God yeah. and do whatever he wants. There's the naive fool, kind of like a Barney Fife, and then there's the casual fool, just the party animal, those kind of fools, but the, the scoffer is the fool that doesn't think anybody can control his behavior. And on the other hand, the
0: wise man in the Bible is the one who believes in
1: God and who knows his will and does his will. Right. It's not like the the word wisdom, the idea of wisdom in the Bible is different than wisdom is defined in the world or other usages. It doesn't mean intelligence. It doesn't mean a, a lot of knowledge. It means the ability to discern Right, What's right or wrong, using God's word to discern what you're seeing in a practical way. That's the idea of wisdom.
0: Generally, that's in the context of the believer and uh, the righteous man. Okay. Uh, And generally, and then again in Proverbs 11.30, it says, the fruit of righteousness is a tree of life. So the righteous man basically is, it, it seems to me that the symbolism is going towards the man who is righteous, the man who recognizes God and his being is the one who will get to partake of the tree of life. And that's generally uh, what we see in some of these things. In Proverbs 15, there's another one that says, Proverbs 15 and 4, he says, "A, a wholesome tongue is a tree of life. One of the characteristics that we probably should have is a wholesome tongue. Uh, what is meant by that? I would suspect we're we're looking at honesty and straightforwardness and truth speaking, uh, and all of those things in that in that manner. And then there's one that's kind of enigmatic ig- ig- mag- ig- to me, ig- if I'm pronouncing that right. Enigmatic. Enigmatic. Yes. Enigmatic to me is problems thirteen and twelve, and it says hope deferred makes the heart sick. But when the desire comes it is a tree of life and I kind of begin to look that up and I've I've come to the conclusion that that is really an admonition um, and then this is my view Mike I I did not find this in a lot of commentaries that were there um, uh, Matthew Henry has something like that if you want to read his commentary but one of the best descriptions I ran across was uh, was this one it says it is It is worth it to endure the sense of sickness for the goodness of the fulfillment when it comes. And I think this is an encouragement much like what Hebrews 11 and 6 is. Hebrews 11 and 6 says, But without faith it is impossible to please him, for he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So we're looking forward to the reward. That's that hope of the reward that we're seeing, and and we can, we can become discouraged when we don't see when we don't possess that hope. Okay, and and what he's saying is basically, we need to have perseverance, right, to 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 handle that hope and to go for that hope. And I think that's that's what is that that perseverance is that tree of life. Yes, as
1: we go to it. That's that's apparently it. it to it started out at least in the book of Genesis, uh, it it started out as a literal tree, perhaps. Or it's it's certainly spoken of as a literal tree. Spoken of as a literal tree, and and man had access to that. But then after a man's sin, access to that tree of life was cut off, and so that's why you have all these ideas of going back to the garden. You have Milton's book, Paradise Lost, and all that. But the right. object of the rest of the Bible is is to restore man's access to the tree of life. And, Jesus, and that's why you see it again later in the book of Revelation. Right. And so it's in the first and the last, and there in
0: Proverbs in the middle telling us a characteristic of it. And he says in Revelations 22, 14 and 15, blessed are those who do his commandments that they may have the right to the tree of life and right. may enter through the gates into the city. Now, this city, if we go back and, and look at it, is described in highly symbolic language, and we can talk about that if, if folks want. But basically, I think what he's saying is now the tree of life has become a symbol for us doing and being able
1: to live with God. Right and having access to eternal therefore having access, access to, to that eternal to that life, eternal life eternity. all right um, we might come back to that we do have a caller on the line though okay uh, are, are you there jerry yes that'd be fine jerry uh, appreciate it yeah yes this idea of the lamb of god is uh, well let's start let's start more g- generically uh, the people of that time that that Culture and agricultural environment that existed in Bible times. We're very familiar with lambs, and in the Bible, it people in our usage of the word lamb, we usually think of a sheep. But it's very clear from the Book of Exodus uh, and Leviticus that when God demanded sacrifices, a lamb of the flock, unblemished lamb, that He specifically says that it can be either of the sheep or of the goats. So there were they kept two kinds of animals, most prominently sheep and goats. Not as many cattle that we would call them, although they called those cattle where we think of cows, bovine animals as cattle. So there are slight differences in the way the words are being used between modern times and the Bible. But a lamb then is a small, immature goat or sheep in the Bible. And it's often, most often referred to in that very literal sense when they were offering the sacrifices in the Old Testament under the law of Moses or before they were offering literal sheep or goats and right. sometimes adults, but oftentimes lambs or small ones. And, and, and Jesus, the, his accent is
0: basically in reference to Jesus, Mike. I think it's more along the lines of the sacrificial lamb, not necessarily the
1: lost lamb. Right I would say Jesus is not the lost lamb that's the, the, so that it's used then he uses the idea of a lamb not just as far as something that's offered up its blood is offered in place of the sinner or as an offering of a Thanksgiving the the lamb is offered up literally he uses lamb sometimes as an illustration of essentially either a helpless animal or one that can't take care of itself, or a lamb is someone that follows sheep, someone that follows the the directions of a leader, like a shepherd. So you see this illustration used quite a bit in the New Testament of sheep and shepherds and lambs, and then and then you have Jesus telling the parable about the 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 uh, lamb that was lost. And night, he had a hundred sheep and lost one, and he went out searching for the one. And uh, founded and rejoiced and so forth. Uh, you, you see that, and I'll read that in just a moment. But you see this kind of a reference to it. So, But Jesus as the lamb is tied into the, the lamb that was offered on Passover by the Jews. It was required. The day of atonement. In, in the, and the day of atonement, yes. yes. For, first the Passover there in, in uh, Exodus when they first were in Egypt, they had to go get a lamb and, and, and put the blood of that lamb on the doorpost and eat the lamb, all of it, before, uh, you know, before before the night was over. And then Jesus becomes that lamb offered up, as it were, so God would pass over or uh, forgive the sins of the people in the sense of passing over them as far as judgment, it became a symbol in the Old Testament to the, to the Hebrews uh, of God choosing them to be his people, setting them apart from the Egyptians because them eating this lamb and them, them keeping this, these commands about this feast separated them from the Egyptians. The Egyptians fell under the curse of, of God and the firstborn were killed, whereas those who were chosen and set apart by God who at, sacrificed the lamb were not slain. And then Christ becomes that lamb and is put to death on the pa- time of the Passover when the lambs were being offered up in Jerusalem there at the end of his life. And then you have the lamb that was also offered in Leviticus 13 on the Day of Atonement, which is Yom Kippur, not as widely known among, uh, in our culture generally as the Passover. But Yom Kippur is probably the holiest day of the year to has been to the Hebrews should be, whereas Passover is the most widely known and and celebrated probably. So um, Yom Kippur was the offering in the temple of a sacrificial lamb. Two lamb two two lambs as it were were offered up on Yom Kippur. One was the scapegoat. Go- that was taken, the sins of the people were literally by the hands of the priest placed upon the head of that lamb. It was taken out into the wilderness by an elaborate ceremony by, at the time of Christ and abandoned in the wilderness. the other one was slain with its throat cut there, its blood caught as it was running out of this animal and taken and, uh, up to the, up the steps of the altar and thrown at the base of the altar in atonement for the people uh, and so forth. So this is the lamb that was offered up on the day of atonement. In this case. But the lost lamb, the, the, the parable of the lost um, uh, lamb is in Luke 15. That's a different metaphor. Once again, you have lambs for mean different things, the yeah. sheep. It's, it's uh, a, well, I just thought of this. I'll get to the story in a second. I'm kind of getting, going backwards. You even have the, the figure of the little ewe lamb, that Nathan told David about When he came to, When Nathan came to David to expose His adultery and murder He tells a story of a man that had a Beautiful little lamb that he loved and slept With his lamb you know and kept it in his house And the, and the rich man came And took the lamb away And killed it and ate it And David was enraged that this Man would do this To another man's prized lamb And Nathan said, Thou art the man. So the Jews loved these sheep and goats, these lambs. And Jesus uses this then in his ministry in teaching parables about these animals. In that case. That are lost, that are found, how much they love them and how how they need a shepherd to follow and all this kind of thing.
0: In that case, in, in the one that Nathan talks about with David, there's a very strong contrast in value. Who valued that lamb? Right, and, and right. basically, uh, we see a lot of things in the Bible that uh, are used to give us some idea of how valuable uh, Jesus' sacrifice was to us, and and what it means to us. In Revelation, in chapter five and chapter thirteen, uh, we see. Uh, well, let's just take Revelation five and six. And I looked, and behold, in the midst of the throne and of the four living creatures, and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb, as though it had been slain. So now, in this case, it's using, I think, to identify Jesus. Right. right. He, he's identifying through he
1: he is through, he is the lamb offered on the, for up at uh, at Passover, uh-huh. as it were, for the sins of the people, and and he then is one that's slain. So that's a figure of speech. Now, we got another call on the phone, but let me, I mean, I need to repeat this because Gary, we're having a little trouble with the recording this morning. So some of you who are listening to this later in a podcast might not have heard the question that was asked, but what Jerry asked about the parable of the lost lamb and whether Jesus was the lost lamb and how he was taken into the wilderness and fasted for 40 days and so forth. And we're trying to then to, to talk about the different usage of this idea of a lamb and so forth. But I want to read that parable that he referred to in Luke 15, where Jesus says, What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he loses one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness and go after the one which was lost until he finds it? And when he is found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost." And I say to you that likewise there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 just persons who need no repentance. Now, there's so much in there. We could spend a whole hour talking just about.
0: More than an hour. Yeah,
1: yeah. The idea that there's never a righteous person. Well, there are righteous people. Believe it or not, I know that and, and you know, I know some verses say there's none righteous, no not one, but that's used in a very specific context. This context here are 99 righteous people and one lost lamb and he's using this as an illustration. and once again, you point out the value. this, this man is going to leave 99 to go find the one. Now this is telling us in this parable that God is concerned about every sinner, whether he is deemed significant. By society or by the world or even by his family, God is concerned about every sinner, and that's you and me and he will He has sent his son to save him. Jesus will go into the wilderness to find you if you're if you're willing to come back, he will find you and and that's the idea this is a wonder I love this story for that reason it indivi- it, it, it uh, tells us of the importance of every individual uh to Christ and to God, and that the shepherd, the good shepherd. Is seeking his sheep, so anyway, that's not Christ in that parable. Though Christ is telling the parable, this the sheep in this case are us sinners who are lost that Christ is seeking. So that's some of the ways this lamb was used. I hope that answers Jerry's question. It's a great question, one pertinent to the to today when so many people are thinking about the resurrection. But this was this uh, the Passover. Jesus was killed on the Passover, raised up three days later. All right, uh, we have another call. Are you there, Ken? I'm good. How are you? The war, war on the word of God. Is, is that correct? Okay. Say that again, please. First Kings 22, okay? Okay. Okay, give me just a second to get over there, Ken. Uh, I was writing that down so I wouldn't forget it, uh, and uh, I need to turn over there. So now if I'm reading the right passage, now the three year First Kings twenty two, now three years passed without war between Syria and Israel. Then it came to pass in the third year that Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, went down to visit the king of Israel. Let me stop right there for a second to give people up to date. The kingdom of what we call generally people know as Israel had been split into two parts. In the south was Judah, and then in the north was Israel of the 10 tribes but Judah was on higher ground territory and so that's why it says that Jehoshaphat the king of Judah the southern king went down geographically down not down north to south but uh, elevation, uh, I'm sorry, elevation down, down not geographically down uh, elevation down to visit the king of Israel and the king of Israel said to his servants do not you know that Ramoth and Gilead is ours, but we hesitate to take it out of your hand, the hand of the king of Syria. And so he said to Jehoshaphat, Will you go with me to fight at Ramoth Gilead? Jehoshaphat said to the king of Israel, I am as you are, my people as your people, my horses as your horses. And Jehoshaphat said to the king of Israel, Please inquire for the word of the Lord today. Then the king of Israel gathered the prophets together, about 400 men, and said to them, Shall I go against Ramoth Gilead to fight, or shall I refrain? And so they said, Go up, for the Lord will deliver it into the hand of the king. And Jehoshaphat said, Is there not still a prophet of the Lord here that we may inquire of him? And then the king, you want me to read on? That's, that's down to verse 7, uh, Ken. All right.
0: Might note that Jehoshaphat is a good king of Judah. Yes.
1: Not a good king. Not so a good a, king. The king of Israel, being Ahab, not a good king. I'm kind of repeating what you say, Ken, because we're having recording problems. Go ahead. Yeah, so you're saying that in verse in verse 5 and in verse 6, when they, he says calls in all these 400 prophets, probably prophets of Baal, that uh, they began to listen to them rather than the word of God. And that's like people today listening to, quote, experts, quote, scientists, that often go against... The science is settled on transgender ideology, this kind of thing. Is that what you're saying? So verse 8 says, So the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, There is still one man, Micaiah, the son of Ishma- Imlah, by whom we may inquire of Jehovah. But I hate him, because he does not prophesy good concerning me, but evil. And Jehoshaphat says, said, Let not the king say such things. So Jehoshaphat was... Um, not happy that he wouldn't listen to Micaiah, but anyway, that's what Ahab said. Go ahead, it doesn't say good things about him, right? Yes, and the all the and verse 12 says, and all the prophets prophesied so, saying, Go up to Ramoth Gilead and prosper, for the Lord will deliver it into the king's hand. Uh, that's verse 12. I don't know if that's the verse you wanted or not. Then the messenger who had what's that go on. Okay, then the messenger who had gone to call Micaiah spoke to him, saying, Now listen, the words of the prophets with one accord encourage the king, Please let your word be like the word of one of them and speak encouragement. So the messenger said, Everybody all agrees the science is settled. I'm putting words in Ken's mouth here. I'm putting, Ken hasn't said this, but I'm reading this now in contemporary life. Uh, the science is settled with one accord. You need to say the same thing. I'm going to encourage you to say the same thing. And Micaiah said in verse 14, As the Lord lives, whoever the Lord says, to, whatever the Lord says to me, that I will speak. Uh, then he came to the king, and the king said to him, Micaiah, shall we go to war against Ramoth Gilead, or shall we refrain? And he answered and said to him, Go and prosper, for the Lord will deliver it to the hand of the king. He must have said it, he must have said it with a, yeah, he was obviously saying it in such a way that that the king knew he was mocking, uh, that the king knew that Micaiah was mocking him because the king then said to him, how many times shall I make you swear that you will tell me nothing but the truth in the name of the Lord? So he knew he was uh, kind of mocking him. Yeah, oh, sure, go ahead, go on, king, go up, go on up there, it's all fine, fine and well. And he knew he was uh, and, and, and you, you met, that's made real clear in verse 19 and following. Yeah, well, verse 70, then he said, I saw Israel scattered on the mountains as sheep that have no shepherd. And the Lord said to him, These have no master. Let each return to his home in peace. And the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, Did I not tell you you would not prophesy good concerning me but evil? And then Micaiah said, Therefore hear the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne and all the hosts of heaven standing by and on his right hand and on his left and the lord said who will persuade ahab to go up that he may fall at ramoth gilead and so one spoke in this manner and another spoke in that manner and then the spirit came forward and stood before the lord and said i will persuade him and the lord said in what way and i said i will go out and be a lying spirit to the mouth of all of his prophets so the lord said you shall persuade him also prevail go and do so so uh, the picture is he uh Micaiah says, I saw a picture in heaven of God saying, Who's gonna persuade Ahab to uh go to his death, as it were? Right.
0: It's a little a little bit reminiscent of Satan coming to God in the first book of Job.
1: Yes. Uh, is that what what are your what are your comments on now? I read the verses that you were speaking of, Ken. Yeah, this this lying spirit.
0: Who do you think the lying spirit is? Who do you think the lying spirit is?
1: So, I think Gary is implying that this might be Satan, I actually, that, I, in God's throne room. I think, God's, uh, yeah, I think room. this
0: might be Satan.
1: He, I don't think he's saying one of his other angels will go and lie. Right. I think this may be Satan himself. Romans 1. Now, Gary just threw out a very controversial idea there, but <laughs> we'll have to come back to that in a minute. And I'm not saying that because I disagree with him. What, what's the... What's your verse you want to go in Romans 1, uh, Ken? Verse 18, okay. All right. So verse 18 begins a longer context, a longer reading, but we'll skip a couple verses here. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness, because what may be known of God is manifest in them that God has shown to them, And so forth. So he says in creation, they're without excuse. So here is his condemnation of ungodliness and unrighteousness that's brought about by men who suppress the truth. Um, They do not love the truth, and so therefore they suppress it. Now, verse 22, 21. Because though they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were they thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools, and changed the glory of the incorruptible God to an image made like an corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things, and therefore God gave them up to uncleanness. I can keep reading, but you may want to make another point, Kent. He said, they, they, uh, God gave them up to uncleanness in the lust of their hearts, To dishonor their bodies among themselves, who exchanged the truth of God for a lie, for the excuse me, for the lie, and worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator who is blessed forever. That's through verse twenty-five. So this is a this is a passage of Scripture, Ken, that I preached on. I didn't even know how many times I've referred to this and preached sermons on it because it's so reminiscent of what's going on around us today. I think. What do you think he means by God gave them up? He is. He gave. He's done with him, huh? I, I think it, God reaches a point where His word His word is put before men, either individually or as a civilization, and they don't respond over a long enough period. And so God, uh, and I think God can even shift events. God is. God does not make things happen like He didn't make Ahab choose the wrong thing, but he is involved in human history, both individually and, na- and, and among the nations. And he can allow events to happen or nudge events this way or that way. And then we respond to that either individually or as a culture. We respond to those events and we end up making a choice. And I think when God gives up on us, he doesn't try to nudge them in our favor. He may nudge them knowing that, like Pharaoh, that knowing that Pharaoh would harden his heart, God nudged the events so that Pharaoh would harden it even more clearly.
0: Well, I think it's a way of of contrasting these people who have no compunction against sin. Basically, they have no thought of God and what he has to say. And there's a contrast between that and the Christian in 1 uh, Corinthians. 1 uh, Corinthians I think it's ten thirteen. no temptation has overtaken you except as it is common to man but God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able but with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you also may be able to bear it now he makes that promise to Christians right. but,
1: and depending on how far you're willing, willing to go into sin yeah, he, then may, you, he can take that away can take that away and you basically have given yourself over. He's given you over to them. You know, I I read something the other day that kind of I didn't startle me, but I thought that's a pretty pretty interesting take on some statistics. This 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 intellectual fellow was talking about, um, and I think he was a Christian or at least a Christian orientation, but he was saying that. That when you trace back some of these surveys that they do about religious interest in the United States and how much people read the Bible or how much people go to church and how much people say that, that God makes a big difference in their life and some of these other cultural trends about uh, people living outside of marriage and acceptance of these things, he said there is a line that can be drawn very clearly before and after 9-11. Before nine eleven. People were much more religious In the United States than Western culture And and They had much more basically What we would call Biblical values, they weren't great But they were much more so than today But in the years following 9-11 Till today There's been a rapid Just a cliff, a fall off Of people who uh, Practice religion Who read their Bibles and so forth Now what I get from what he said was God, God judged us at that point in time. That nine eleven was kind of a judgment on the American people and really Western culture. And a judgment presents people with a choice. A lot of people thought when it happened that nine eleven would draw Americans together as a nation, as a people, would bring people back to God because of. The events that happened would make them more determined to do the right thing. But it didn't happen that way. Now we've got 20 years later, what's happened is it did the opposite. It's pushed people further apart. Are we more united as a nation in 2023 than we were in the year 2000? Why, even in 2000, we were divided, but now we're splintered and fractured, and I don't even know if we're going to survive as a nation. Much less the much less the moral climate. So that's how God then says, who will go up and do these things. And so he used wicked men to bring about a judgment on people, which presented a chance for them to pull back to him, but it became an opportunity for them to pull away from him and do what they want to do. Now, what do you think about that? You two, I, I, I'm going to (laughs) Ken's on the line. Um, well, I, I have a thought about that. I'm not sure about the statistics
0: of it because the makeup of our nation since 9-11 has changed a great deal, not only because of just unlimited immigration, but, you know... Well, but it's religious people deal that deal. are
1: immigrating here. Uh, yeah. Okay. Tell me, tell me that. Well, it's much. they're much more religious than they are in Europe as far as the South Americans and Central Americans.
0: But... What did it do to the makeup of the country? the The other thing is, I think there were people that it brought together. I think there were people that turned to God from it. Uh, I don't know that, you know, what their statistical makeup is, but I know that there was a lot of patriotism right after it. In, well, for in- a, young- for
1: a very short time. Yeah. How how long did it take for that to disappear? It didn't take that long. And, and, well, uh, it, it and, took and,
0: until the next Democrat president when, well, the, when, just when they started it, doing it, the... it,
1: it. All it all fell apart. Now they're just looking at the big trend.
0: And yeah, when that, you look,
1: when you look from that time till now, the number of people who say religion and God are an important part of my life, that number has dropped significantly.
0: And I, I don't doubt yeah. that fact. Whether, Significantly, whether I can attribute it
1: completely to that or
0: not, I don't know. Well, he's
1: just saying that's a that's a, a. There are events that happen in history that are demarcations that are that become kind of watershed moments, and they change things. They may not directly themselves do it, but they set up the circumstances where things change. World that's War II was a big event. But Pearl it completely Harvard, changed Harvard, Western culture.
0: Right, Pearl Harbor didn't seem to have that dividing effect. It had. Well, a we
1: were different people. That's divide, my point. We were different people we then. We were different people. Drew then. people together, not for, not do them apart. So I, I I don't know. And so God uses these events to figure out what we're going to do, and He doesn't make us do it. He didn't make Ahab make a bad choice. As a matter of fact, He was quite patient with Ahab in many ways, Uh, and even praised Ahab on... Ahab was redeemable, but he chose chose not not to be be redeemed. redeemed. Yes, Yes. okay. That's my impression of Ahab. Uh, Ken, uh, we're talking a lot. Do you want to add to that? Maybe we've gone completely off the track that you had in mind. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Yeah. I shot an Uh, arrow into the air. Yeah, yeah. It's just... uh, Yes, you can't escape... The arrow of God can you in some ways but that's because it wasn't because of one little thing that Ahab did it was a life of rebellion over time and uh, God warned him and he still wouldn't do it and uh, had they had he respected I'm I'm kind of surprised that Jehoshaphat wasn't judged more severely for this in a way. Maybe it was God's will that Jehoshaphat go along so Ahab would go up. You know, if Jehoshaphat had hesitated, Ahab might not have done it. So maybe God didn't judge him for that reason. But like Gary says, he's known as a good king, Jehoshaphat yeah,
0: is. Yeah, he is known as a good king. He's also
1: known for jumping, I hear. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. It's a, it's an inter that's a great, I'm glad you brought that up, Ken. It's a great story. It does... It does remind you, uh, warn all of us, both individually and as a people uh, and as a church, to be careful that we don't let our own desires determine what we say the word of the Lord is. And that's, I preached the last two weeks, uh, for example here, about whether women can can speak publicly in the church as the teacher or preacher. And if you'd like to hear those lessons, you can download them on our website, wearejustchristians.com. The last couple of weeks I spoke on that subject. And what uh, what's behind that, the reason I even brought it up, not because we have a problem with that here, but the idea is that there's all of these in, in the broader Christian world, and I don't believe these people are New Testament Christians, but in the broader Christian world, in the Southern Baptist Convention and other places. There's now become this great controversy over whether women can be, quote, pastors or teachers, and people are changing their view. They're studying and changing their view on this issue and doing all kind of stuff. And they're saying, you know, God revealed this to me and so forth. But what it is is they're doing essentially the same thing that Ahab was doing here in a different way. They are listening to the culture and the prophets around them, all the other religions and denominations and and listening to society. They're trying to get, quote, on the right side of history, quote, unquote, and so forth. And so they're easily led astray. And it wouldn't surprise me, if you found out that somewhere up in the heavens, there's this one saying, who will go and be a lying spirit for me <laughs> to these people that they so easily change the word of God to suit the times that they're living in. And then all these, there's, there are even a whole group of German Catholic bishops in Germany that put out a whole big treatise the last week or so on how we should accept transgender people as, uh, um, you know, Faithful Christians and probably homosexual marriage and things like that. There's some other things in there. It's caused quite a stir, but that's this is the history of humans who want to fit in with the who want to fit in with the time that they're living in, rather than follow the word of the Lord, which will endure forever. It's just a common problem. Anything else, Ken? Yeah, it is, and. What scares me, Ken said, in case you didn't hear that, it's amazing to him that people think they can fight against God and win. And the scary part for me in that is, have I ever done that in my life, and am I doing that right now? I hope I'm not. Pray and try not to, and I hope that you're not. And all of us need to take that personally. And we certainly don't want to be involved in, with churches that are, in, that are fighting against God and thinking that somehow they can overturn the word of God it will not be overturned. And we're going to see even, even this latest uh, assault on creation and the way people are. You know, when you talk about the word of God, Ken, uh, God, it, the word of God is expressed in his creation, and it's very clear that J- Jesus re- is referring to this when he says, have you not read that he who made them at the beginning made them male and female and so forth? He's referring to the fact that that it says, and God said, you know, let there be light. And God said, and God made male and female the way he wanted. This was an expression of his will and of his word. And if we think that, that somehow we can overcome the will of God and the word of God as expressed in his very creation itself of male and female, we're going to be disappointed, and we're going to see this whole ideology that now seems to us, uh, uh, unassailable and ascendant, powerful, hard to stop, like a locomotive the last couple of years. We're going to see that crumble to pieces before our eyes. I don't know how long it will take, but it will crumble before our eyes because God will not let it stand. It will be destroyed. How many people will be destroyed with it in, in the fall? I don't know. But don't be alarmed that it's you know fight against it. Your job is to fight. Your job is to keep teaching and preaching the word of God. I'm talking to all of the people that are listening to the show who want to follow the Lord. But the Lord will bring it to it, bring it down.
0: Just just be sure that you're not unwittingly fighting against God. A lot of times we don't know that we are or don't realize we can, that right. we are. Uh, he said of the Jews in one place. They have a zeal for God, but is without knowledge.
1: Right, right. Romans ten verses is one right. through four. That's right. That they, I give them credit. He says, or pay, pay them, bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge, because they sought to establish a righteousness of their own, and that's another whole thing we could talk about for a long time. So God will bring this down. He will. He will rectify the situation among the nations. But uh, we are coming, we're in the middle of, and maybe coming up on, I I think the worst is yet to come. I think this push for a one world order where all men are subjugated to a few people in Europe and a few rich elite people in the food supplies and in the medical fields and in government and in where we travel, what we do and who can buy what and sell. I think all of that is still in process. And eventually, it will all be overthrown. I think we're in for a long, hard time until that. Just make sure that you're with the Word of God. Keep going back to the Scriptures and basing what you say on the Scriptures and not on being on, quote, the right side of history. You know, it's funny to me, Gary, and Ken's on the line, so I'll speak to him too, that the people that believe that history has no point, has no ending purpose, because it's all just a random series of events channeled by natural selection the people that believe that history is like that want to talk and lecture to me about being on the right side of history you know the only way you can be on the right side of history is to believe that God is in control of history and there is a right side you know it's funny how the right side is always the latest progressive movement but We want to be on God's side. That's the only way you can be on the right side of history because Jesus Christ is the end of history. He's the teleos, the point of history. And his coming is the end of history. If you want to be on the right side of history, you better be on the Lord's side before before he comes.
0: I am the Alpha. Because that's the right side. I am the Alpha and the Omega. Right. People who don't
1: even believe in a God and in the beginning and the end want to lecture me about being on the right side. It's absurdity. But but people fall for it. So in any event, Um, any last comments, Ken?
0: Any more rants? (laughs) I I got plenty of rants. So yeah, yes, yes.
1: Oh yes, I think you texted that in earlier and I missed it. So it's a feminine. Yeah, wisdom is pictured in most ancient cultures as female. The word Sophia, the Greek in feminine, is a female name, and she. She's always pictured as a female goddess. It's ironic, interesting, isn't it? And in Hebrew, it's the same way. It says she in the book of Proverbs. I wonder why that is, um, that it's female. But it's pictured meta- allegorically or metaphorically as as a she and so forth.
0: Well, it's, I- it's interesting that right after Proverbs thirteen twelve, the one that we read about uh, she being a uh, uh, a tree of life. He says in verse thirteen and fourteen, "He who despises the word will be destroyed, but he who fears the commandment will be rewarded." The law of the wise is a fountain of life. To turn away, to turn one away from the snares of death. Yes.
1: Early on in the show, Kenna texted in here, and I didn't read this because I didn't see it when it first came in. That Jesus is the tree of life. And the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Yeah. So there So if you want to be according to the Bible wise, you will have fear or respect for Jehovah or, or God. And when you once you have fear or respect for Him, you can, according to the Bible, become a wise person when you do that because you will respect His Word and you will pattern your life and your thoughts after His Word and have. Understanding now, that's where I want to emphasize again. I know it may seem to some of you that the difference is not significant, but I really think that it is is more significant than we give your credit for. That the wisdom, as defined by even the Greeks and Romans, much less modern people, wisdom is often confused with just intellectual knowledge or intelligence, or cunning, being cunning and savvy and shrewd. But in the Bible, wisdom is always equated with obedience to the will of God and prudence, having discretion in using those, that knowledge that you find from God's word linked, in real life. It's, it's linked to righteousness in several exactly. places. Righteousness and goodness is linked to that. So there's a completely different concept of the beginning and the source of wisdom and its nature between the Hebrews and Christians and secular people from ancient cultures down to today So and, and we, we want our young people to Sure, we want, them, we want them to get a good education Well, let me tell you a good, uh, The real education for young people Is going to come from the word of God And moral principles And, and uh, understanding of God's A of, of fear of the Lord If you want to teach your children to have wisdom And be wise, educated Teach them the fear of the Lord and then they'll be able to use their intellectual gifts that you educate them in, in the right way.
0: And that that idea of fearing the Lord is done in several different ways. It's like that ver, verse thirteen in Proverbs thirteen: He who despises the word will be destroyed, but he who fears the commandment will be rewarded. Fearing the commandment and fearing the Lord are the same thing. Right. Right. They're 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 exactly the same thing. And and. Uh, I've been studying Proverbs a little bit more and he, and Psalms a little bit more, and some of these things keep just jumping out at me, uh, and I can't ignore them any longer.
1: I shouldn't have ignored them to begin with, but I can't I can't ignore them anymore. Well, I mean, Proverbs is often viewed as just a book with a lot of nice little pithy sayings, but it's much more than that. Yeah,
0: it's a lot more, than much that. more
1: than that. So I think that's what you're getting at. All right. Well, um, we appreciate your. Uh, Call, Ken, and if you want to sum it up, you're welcome to right now. Hebrew lesson, okay. El-Kaim-Etz. What does that mean? El-Kaim-Etz? The tree. Oh, yeah, that's right. Okay. The tree of life. Okay. That's the word that's used in Hebrew. Well, by, by the way, I was going to mention people, Ken, I, I, I think you might have heard me say this uh, before, but... Gary and I are planning to do a Passover demonstration on May twelfth at the Palm City Community Center, and um, we'll be—I—I ha- I have some idea how to pronounce Hebrew words. I know Ken does better on the show here and stuff, but but uh, we'll be talking about some of these different Hebrew customs, and then how it comes over into being a Christian and the overlap of that. So, if any of you are listening or want to want to be a part of the want to come to our Passover demonstration, it isn't a keeping the Passover, it's learning about the Passover in an interactive way you're welcome to do that, just text me or email me uh, at wearejustchristians.com or uh, justchristians at net. that would be the best way, justchristians at net or the, te- the text number 772-260-6120 just let me know and I'll have a place for you reserved and, uh, at, at our Passover demonstration on May 12th. But um, We try to teach people about what the Bible, what God told Israel to do and to be because that's the strong connection to being a Christian. And people who dismiss the Old Testament and learning about what the Jews were told by God are missing so much that they need to learn, and I need to learn more about it. So we've got a couple of minutes left here, so I appreciate you calling Ken very much and all the things that you contributed today, as well as Jerry and his uh, question. We thank you very much and hope that you guys will uh, continue to listen and tune in. Anybody else that wants to participate, we're certainly glad to have you participate in the show. Let me mention, as I did just now, some couple of things here before we close out at 10 o'clock here let's if you want to be if you want to come to that Passover demonstration let us know by texting me 772 260 6120 or you can go to justchristians at net. those are two good ways to communicate with the show anytime you want to and then then you have uh, i want to point you to our website we are com. we are just christians Dot .com you'll find recordings of the different sermons even some of the ones I mentioned this morning that are there as well as recordings of this radio show going back probably 10 years on this radio show are there on that website for you to download and or listen to there and we would be glad to have you to to do that we're not asking for money or any kind of contribution for those things and i do want to apologize for the fact that you uh, if you're listening to this as a podcast you probably can't hear the caller today. I tried to repeat the things but we'll get that straightened out for next week. I think Skype changed the uh, the appearance of things on me and can't figure it out. So thanks for listening. May God bless you until next week.
0: You've been listening to We Are Just Christians live from Savona Church in Port St. Lucie on WPSL Port St. Lucie